Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thanks for joining us today. This week, we're listening back to some of the great conversations we've had on the 9 a.m. show this past year. And here with me in the studio this morning is one of my producers, Maya Beckstrom. Maya is here to talk about one of her favorite shows of the year. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. So what show did you pick for us to listen back to today? Well, this is a show that aired last spring. You spent an hour talking with one of Minnesota's musical treasures, J.D. Steele. That's a great way to describe him, a musical treasure. And and tell everybody how you came up with the idea for this show, because I remember it vividly. <laughs> it, it, it was a concert. Uh, I was talking to my cousin uh, this last spring who said, I have signed up for this community choir in North Minneapolis. So I go to the Capri Theater on West Broadway. I think this was sometime in May. Um, walk in and, you know, sit down with this like lively group of people in the audience and the concert starts by this wiry guy in ripped jeans bursting onto the stage. And within a couple of seconds, he has not only the choir warming up, but he has the entire audience singing. Um, this was, I think, the day that Harry Belafonte, uh, the news of his death mm-hmm. had been announced. And, um, this was, of course, J.D. Steele, who was standing up on stage, and he had us doing warm-ups going, Deo, Deo. <laughs> and, you know, I just, his energy was amazing. His energy. His presence yes. was amazing. And I said, we we got to get this guy on the show. Yes, in the studio. You, you got him in here. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we did. Uh, as you know, we do health and wellness topics uh, on the show every Wednesday. Um, so how do you think this conversation with J.D. Steele, how do you think of it as a wellness show? I, I mean, I know I, I think of music and its healing effects, but how does it fit into that wellness yeah. category? What I like about uh, how we think about our Wednesday shows is the breath we bring to it. So mm-hmm. we do very, I call them more medical shows. We've talked about yes. kidney failure. We've talked about heart disease. Um, we also talk a lot about mental health. And I think we think about how do we live a life that will make us whole, make us well. And we all know that less Mm -hmm. stress. And we all know that, you know, stress affects the chemicals that are in our body. And uh, everything from, you know, music to sleep can help us be healthier. So Mm -hmm. I I know that music brings a lot of joy to me and, uh, and singing does. And so I want to try to capture that. I cannot sing. I can't sing, but I love to sing in the shower. (laughs) (laughs) So Maya, before we listen to uh, the conversation with J.D. Steele, tell us a little bit more about him. Well, he's the oldest brother in a singing group. It's the gospel and R&B group, the Steels. A um, lot of people have heard them. Siblings. Yep, yeah. all siblings. And I pulled a little bit of music from the Steels singing back in 2015 at the Ordway here in St. Paul, just so we can hear what they sound like. That was The Steels, and J.D. Steele, the oldest brother in the group, has produced and performed in a number of Steele's albums. He's also toured nationally with actor Morgan Freeman in the show The Gospel at Colonus, and that went all the way to Broadway in 1988. Mm -hmm. Um, He's collaborated with Prince, and I found out that he's written 15 musicals. Um, He's worked with so many top artists in a wide range of musical genres, uh, with George Clinton, Mavis Staples, The Sounds of Blackness. An amazing uh, amazing man. And let's listen back. 
back now to the conversation with J.D. Steele. We talked about his long career as a singer, a songwriter, arranger, producer, and choir director, and what he's doing right now, uh, particularly with directing community choirs across Minnesota. I started our conversation by asking what music means to him. Well, you know, music is um, is very soul-transforming. Um, it soothes the soul. Mm-hmm. Uh, it um, takes you into an introspective uh, place um, that everybody can relate to around the world. So music means a lot to me, especially in the sense that it's uh, it's the great world global communicator. Mm-hmm. I think about during the pandemic, I spent a lot of time listening to music, and it was it was absolutely healing and transforming, as you said. It, it could help me change my mood. Yeah, that that during the pandemic was a really uh, unique time because um, I found myself uh, zooming with about 200 singers a week. Um, my two adult community choirs, Capri Glee and Mill City Singers, as well as the McPhail Community Youth Choir. So we were we kept it together by zooming, and uh, it, cre- it kept our community going. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that first summer. Um, we went into a parking lot uh, over at the University of Minnesota, and everybody bought lawn chairs and wore their mask, and we were eight feet apart. And Fred bought his electric keyboard, and I had a portable uh, PA system. And we kept singing all that summer at a, uh, in a parking lot. Because I remember when the pandemic first started, like singing in a crowd, that was forbidden, right? Because yes. we're talking about you know the spread of the, of the virus uh, in, a, in a respiratory way. And so that was you know, stated by health officials. Don't do that. Right. <laughs> so many of us love music and, and singing. And a lot of people are like me. I cannot sing. I have no musical abilities. So how do you view the musical gifts that you have? Well, you know, uh, I, I was gifted with that from uh, my father and uh, my father's side of the family because my father was a singer and guitar player. Uh, my uncles and aunts were singers. We were just the first generation to pursue it professionally. So um, I don't take that gift for granted um, mm. at all. And then I had great choir directors growing up in Gary, Indiana, and great music teachers that I remember distinctly to this day that had a tremendous influence on me. So let's talk about the work that you're doing now. Um, and can I ask, how, how old are you now? I just turned 70. You're 70. You do not look 70 at all. <laughs> and uh, you definitely uh, have... And you a, don't look 55. Well, well, see, you didn't have to tell the people my age, okay? <laughs> you told it okay. already. You said it <laughs> I earlier. It's true. I just had a birthday. I, it's fine. But let's talk about the work you're doing now. I told you, I, I find this really impressive because uh, you're you're really working now towards contributing what will be, um, in many ways, your legacy. You're directing community choirs. Uh, you're leading a youth choir and, and two adult choirs in the Twin Cities right now. Um, tell, tell us more about that. Because when I hear community choir, I'm like, hmm, that means some of those folks can't sing. But they like to sing, right? Is that what that means? No, it means that you have a community of people, a multicultural community group of people who come together to to share music. And uh, I get to teach them to sing. And the more they work with me, the better they get. I am probably one of the few community choir directors that does not audition singers. Mm. Um, I will take singers and meet them wherever they are. And uh, over time, they get better. But you haven't heard me sing. Would you meet me where I am? I would meet you it's where you're at. It's a sad place. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you don't audition. Why? Well, because I want people to come in and feel uh, and not feel intimidated <clears throat> about 
you know, joining a choir because some people, some people just haven't sang since they were in high school, mm-hmm. and then at fifty years old they decide, you know what, I'd like to, you know, revisit my singing roots. Bring and, it back. Uh, the more you sing, the stronger. It's like any other muscle. The vocal cords get stronger the more you sing. I love it. So we're going to play some music right now. Let's listen to a part of a song from a recent concert of Capri Glee, and that's a community choir that rehearses uh, just a few times and then has a concert at the Capri Theater in North Minneapolis. Uh, here they are. Here's a, a bit of thank you by Sly and the Family Stone. J.D. leading the choir, and uh, this is sort of a, a call and response. And uh, again, talking about music being able to transform you, 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 you took me back. My morning just turned all, all the way around <laughs> just now hearing that. Um, so, so tell me about that. You don't use printed sheet music with your community choirs uh, to teach the singers the songs. Why is that? Well, um, number one, um, many of the singers can't read music. Um, so I don't audition them and, and require that they are able to read music. But uh, one of my strong points is uh, my ability to sing the soprano, alto, tenor, and bass parts. So I can teach them by ear mm. much faster than they can learn by reading printed music. So and I oftentimes, rarely do I bring in lyric sheets because I try to get the singers to relate to the song uh, personally. And uh, we talk about what the song means. What is the song about? How how can you relate to the song personally? This may and be my that, type of choir here. This would I can't be your read type music of choir. either. This would right. be your type of choir. Why this song? So you said the meaning of the song. So this song, I, I know, Sign the Family Stone. Uh, thank you. Thank you for letting me be myself again. What mm-hmm. What's the message there? Well, the message uh, in the song, if you listen to the verses, it's a song about uh, police brutality. Uh, that's what it starts out about. I didn't Looking know that. at the devil grinning at his gun. Things would start shaking. We'd begin to run. Bullets start chasing. So, you know, when you listen to the lyrics, uh, it starts out being a song about police brutality. And Sly Stone was able to shape it in a joyous presentation uh, that a lot of times people don't remember that that's what the song was about. Like you just said, you didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, if you look at those lyrics, that's what it starts out about. The Family Stone was here. They performed at the State Fair, Minnesota State Fair last, mm-hmm. I'm last sure, year. I'm sure they did that song. All right. Um, if folks have seen you uh, direct or perform, they know that you use your whole body when you sing and also when you're directing the choir. Uh, and do you think this helps... Uh, the choirs you're directing? Does it help you sort of express the the music? Does it help the audience? Well, I try to encourage my choir members to connect their bodies with their voices um, because I strongly believe that what 
comes from the heart reaches the heart. So the ability to move and feel free to move uh, exacts a lot of excitement from uh, the singers themselves. And then when the audience sees that, then they begin to feel it and they feel looser. Mm-hmm. That's a big fun part of it for me. And we need to feel more loose right now. Right? We sure do. <laughs> we do. Uh, I'm talking to a Minnesota treasure, J.D. Steele, singer, songwriter, arranger, producer, choir director, and also a filmmaker. I mentioned, J.D., that you are working with a youth choir. Uh, we talk a lot about uh, children and teenagers uh, and the youth mental health crisis right now. What do you enjoy about working with a youth choir in particular? And is it is it still cool to be in a choir if you're a teenager or a young adult? It's still very cool to be in a choir, especially yeah. if you're attracted to the arts. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I work with the McPhail Community Youth Choir, which was a choir that uh, I started through McPhail about 14 or 15 years ago um, because of my work with my East African choir mm-hmm. that I brought to the International Children's Festival at the Ordway in 2010. And, um, you know, when McPhail first approached me about working with, you know, teenagers, you know, every Saturday morning, my first thought was, do I really want to do this? And uh, now that I've been doing it, it is the most gratifying part of my career because I get to work with young people that are brilliant and very talented. So let's, let me stop you there. Saturday morning, you had me at Saturday morning. That's like maybe when a lot of people sleep in. <laughs> so the, when you first started doing it, you know, maybe you were a little surprised. So what made it so enjoyable early on that you're like, oh, wow. What were you seeing with these individual young folks? You know, I, I, I'm always telling them, I said, as much as I love your singing and dancing, um, I'm more interested in you becoming great human beings and great global citizens. And uh, their brilliance and uh, their ambition really uh, has caused an eternal optimism for me uh, because I can see the future through their eyes, through their lens. So we're going to be all right because these kids are absolutely fabulous Mm -hmm. Uh, for those of us that are afraid of uh, artificial intelligence. I think these kids are going to be able to handle it quite well. Uh, I love being around young people, young journalists in particular, and it does. It energizes me. I always joke. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm just still in trying to get a little of your youth. But uh, personally, I mean, you <laughs> talked about being 70. Mm-hmm. It has energized you and made you feel optimistic. I'm always energized and I'm eternally optimistic. And uh, the the inspira- these kids inspire me every Saturday morning at 10 o'clock at the Capri. We're going to take a phone call from a listener. We're talking to J.D. Steele, and we're talking about the work that he's doing now, uh, directing community choirs, and also about music. Uh, in Plymouth, Susan is on the phone. Good morning, Susan. What do you want to share with us? Good morning, um, and hi, J.D. I don't know uh, if he would remember my daughter, but maybe seven, about seven or eight years ago, my daughter, um, Donatella, uh, participated in his uh, Saturday morning uh, choir down at the Capri and I would drive her in and she just she just loved it she just and he was such an inspiration to her and also Fred really inspired her um, her uh, keyboard skills so she went on um, and got her degree in music but I just wanted to thank JD and Fred especially for their their inspiration for um, you know on my daughter she you know it was a, it was a great program and I'm I'm glad to hear that he's still continuing these uh, community programs. It's, it's a gift. And so you say your daughter, she pursued uh, music education. She has a degree in music? Well, it's a concentration in vocal performance. That's wonderful. And um, 
um, it was um, it's a great program that he has continued. So that's great, Susan. I remember Donatella because her name is so unique. I know a beautiful name. <laughs> yeah, and Susan JD has Tell a big old smile hi. on his face. So when you hear about the impact on one person, how you know what, what you did for for young Donatella, what does that make you think? It uh, takes me back to the uh, the adults who had an impact on me when I was a teenager, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it just makes me feel good that I'm paying it forward and um, I hope other artists will do the same because I have other friends that do the same thing that I do they pay it forward in a wonderful way and those teenage years are rough those teenage years are rough it hasn't changed yeah especially since the pandemic Um, you know it's it's been a it's been a tough period for our teenagers and so we have to take care of them let's take another phone call in St. Cloud we have Mary Ann on the phone good morning Mary Ann Uh, we're talking with JD Steele what do you want to share with us I will tell you that I'm 81 years old and I first was introduced to the J.D. and his family, the singers, in Gospel at Colonus. I was knocked out by that. I just loved it. I had to get the, the at the time, I believe it was a CD or a tape. And whenever I had a job that I just absolutely thought, <laughs> I don't have energy for this, I would put that on and it would just sail me through the job with joy, the joy that you bring with your music, you still bring with your music. I follow you. You and your family have come into St. Cloud at the Paramount Theater many a time at the holiday. I will never miss a show that you're in. I thank you for all the joy that you give with your music, and please tell your family as well. I will. Aww. Thank you so much for your kind Marianne. words. We love being in, in St. Cloud. Marianne in St. Cloud. Marianne is 81, has the tapes and the CDs, J.D. <laughs> okay? <laughs> All right. So uh, the show, Gospel at Colonus, uh, maybe maybe you might call that your first big break. For those who are not familiar with what that show is, tell us about it. Well, Gospel at Colonus uh, was the late Lee Brewer's adaptation of uh, Sophocles' uh, Oedipus at Colonus. <clears throat> Bob Telson, a great composer, wrote the music. And we started that show uh, here in the Twin Cities in 1982 when Nigel Redden recommended me to Lee and Bob to uh, direct the choir. And at the time, it was a 20-minute show. It was a companion piece to a show called Sister Susie Cinema, which was the headlining show. And uh, we did it at the Walker Arts Center in 1982 and uh, then went to Europe in late 1982 for my first trip to London and uh, expanded it even further. And then when we got back in 83, that's when we were asked to do it at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And that's when we hired an unemployed actor named Morgan Freeman, Mm. brought in the rest of my brothers and sisters, the blind boys from Alabama, the Soulsters, and it turned into a 60-person cast that we did for six weeks at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. And And it went all the way to Broadway? Yeah, between 1983 and 1987, we toured it around the world. Uh, We did Europe. We did major theaters around the country, uh, Atlanta, Detroit, D.C., New York, L.A. And then uh, in 1987, the turning point was when we did it here at the Guthrie Theater. And uh, we did did it here at the the original Guthrie Theater and sold out eight weeks of performances, eight shows a week. And uh, Broadway producers came and saw it and said, oh, my God, if we can sell this in Minneapolis, maybe we could do well on Broadway. 
That's and, amazing. Uh, so they gave us a chance. And so that, that opened uh, more doors, created more opportunities. Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. in 1988, when we uh, did it on Broadway, after we opened, that's when Electra Records approached us. Uh, I remember the uh, executive, uh, the head of uh, Electra Records at the time, um, came backstage and said, can you guys come and meet me downtown tomorrow? I'm interested in signing you to a record deal. Yeah. And so that's when we got our break for that. So many Minnesotans have heard about the Steels, uh, the group that includes your brothers and sisters, and I, I need to name them all, <laughs> Fred, Billy, Gerilyn, and Javita. How do you describe your role within the group? Do they listen to you? You know. <laughs> do they? I'm wondering, because you yes. all have strong personalities. We, we listen, listen to each you? other, yeah. We, we, <laughs> we listen to each other. I, I remember distinctly uh, <clears throat> when we went to Broadway, the group was called the J.D. Steel Singers. And it was named after my father. Who's, who's a senior? So I was named after him. So oh. in honor of him, we named the group after mm-hmm. him back in uh, early '80s. I remember one day my sister said to me, "How come we call it the JD Steel Singers? Why don't we call it the Steels?" And I thought that's a great idea. And at that time, I was doing all the booking and handling the finances, and they were like, "Why are you doing everything? You know, we could help you out." And so my sisters took over the business and the finances and. Uh, they are just fantastic business people, and there's nothing you, – you can't have a better blessing than to be working with people that you really trust and love and trust. And uh, they've grown into fantastic business people. My brothers are fantastic artists and arrangers in their own right. So yeah. uh, It's genuine, and you can see yeah, it. Yeah, that's less than my your... responsibilities. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's take another phone call uh, as we talk to J.D. Steele in Golden Valley. Maureen's on the phone. Good morning, Maureen. Good morning, I am a member of the Glee Choir, and I just have to say thank you to J.D. I just love it. I'm totally blind and use a wheelchair, and it is so wonderful to just walk right in and be able to sing. Other choirs, you have to audition, and then with me, it's a question of can I get the music in Braille or get the lyrics first, and there's all this arranging to do, and I don't have to do that. I just come right in and just start singing and Mm -hmm. it's so positive and it's so fun and if you come in and you've got oh some other stuff on your mind or whatever you leave there just on top of the world (laughs) because jd is so positive and the things that he has to say you know as he's teaching about how we should treat each other and who we should be are just just wonderful. It's it's a fantastic experience to be part of that. So he removed all the barriers for you to be able oh, to, to sing. Absolutely. It was totally, totally accessible. All right. Yeah. That's Maureen in Golden Valley. Great to hear from you, Maureen. Yeah. It's great to give you a hug every rehearsal. Can't <laughs> wait to see you again. All right. Another phone call in Eaton Prairie. Ruth is on the line. Good morning, Ruth. We're talking to J.D. Still. What do you want to share with us? Good morning. Um, in 1987, I was an employee at the Guthrie Theater. I was on the, in the education department. And so I saw a number of performances of Gospel at Colonus. And um, I was so familiar with the show, and I loved it so much that I went and asked if I might be able to be a part of a chorus. And so I was allowed to be a white face in the chorus of one of the um, matinees, and everyone in the choir who was sitting around me helped me to be sure that I was standing up when I was supposed to be standing up and sitting down when I was supposed to be sitting down. It was an amazing life experience, and I have followed the Steels um, ever since then. And it um, and and I'm going to come and join one of JD's choirs, so I just have to find out um, 
where and when that is, and I'll be there. And I only have one hand. I lost a hand to cancer 20 years ago. Mm. And so holding music is really hard for me in other choirs. And so to be able to think that it's accessible is just wonderful. Thank you. Um, Thank you, Ruth. Thank you Uh, for your kind words, Ruth. Come and join us. Now, back to a conversation I had earlier this year with singer, songwriter, producer, and choir director J.D. Steele. It's the show producer Maya Beckstrom chose as we're listening back to some of our favorite shows of 2023. J.D. Steele is known for his work with his siblings in the vocal group The Steels, but did you know that he also directs several community choirs, including a youth choir and a community choir in North Minneapolis? In doing so, he's bringing together singers of different races, abilities, and musical traditions. Now let's jump back into that conversation with JD. He started collaborating with Prince in the 1980s. I asked him how it all started. I met Prince uh, in 1978 uh, when I bought my first home around the corner from where he grew up. And this is when Uh, he had his big afro. Yes, this is when he had his big afro (laughs) and he was just signing his first record deal. But I used to go to his uh, surrogate mother's house, Bernadette Mm -hmm. Anderson. She used to hire me to commentate fashion shows. So he would rehearse in the basement with Andre Simone and Sonny T. Uh And it was just so much fun. And he was so shy. but it was so so much fun to work with him. But we really didn't start working together professionally until uh, Graffiti Bridge uh, when he put that movie together. But before that, we had appeared on stage together with him <clears throat> at the Minnesota Music Awards and the Black Music Awards mm-hmm. back in the 80s. Well, we can uh, play some more music right now. Um, we know that Prince brought you and the Steels in to sing backup for a couple of songs on, on the 1990 Graffiti Bridge album you just mentioned, uh, Melody Cool and Still Would Still still would stand all time. Uh, the Steels also sang backup in a Prince video of Willing and Able, and a version of it aired on CBS after the Super Bowl back in 1992. So we're going to play some music here. I want to listen to Willing and Able, and we're going to start right when you and the Steels come in. Here it is. That is Prince and the Steels and Willing and Able. Um, it's still, um, what is it like to hear Prince's voice for you? And a, a, a young Prince, a Prince in 1990, what is that like for you since you knew him personally? Well, you know, we did, I think, seven albums with him. Uh, we we uh-huh. did background vocals. Uh, we were able to go to Europe with him and perform with him. And I spent a lot of time at Paisley Park because I was on the Paisley Park music writing staff with a publishing deal to Warner Chapel Music. And um, 
So we had a lot of late night conversations about the business of music and about, you know, the, our approach to the business of music. I, uh, we, he learned a lot by fire and I, I learned a lot from him uh, through the fires that he had been through. It's still shocking to me that he's still not here with us. It's still shocking to me. I, I think the, uh, I was invited to MC the celebration at Paisley Park several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that was before the pandemic when I did my first MC stint there. And um, it was we were still all fresh from his, his passing mm-hmm. away. And I remember as I got close to Paisley Park, um, I had a pit in my stomach. My stomach just, 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 right. just a pit. And walking in the building just brought me such great sorrow uh, because it just without him there. And I remember they put me uh, in a dressing room next to the elevator. And um, that's where they found him. Mm-hmm. It was on the elevator. Where his body was found. After about six or seven hours that first day, I came to peace with it because just walking around the museum and looking at all the work and knowing that we were a part of some of that work and uh, the beauty of what he had done and the impact that he had, um, you know, I came to to a closure finally. Um, I'm imagining he would be so proud of the work you're doing now with young people and community choirs. Yeah, he, he would because he was <laughs> really um, – uh, ambitious about that uh he he was a philanthropist yes that nobody knew about we learned a lot about his philanthropy after yeah we death. learned a lot about mm-hmm. his philanthropy and he really cared about young people and uh a lot of people built their careers on his back in this community jd let's talk about uh george floyd after george floyd was murdered and during the pandemic you made a short film you're also a filmmaker now talking about the experience of being black in minnesota and you talked with four elders it's called Listen, Please. Uh, what made you want to do that project and describe it? Well, you know, actually during the <clears throat> pandemic after the George Floyd murder, uh, I was contacted by a friend of mine, a philanthropist here in the Twin Cities. Her name is Penny Winton. And um, she called me up one day and said, you should do a film on systemic racism. And my first thought was, first of all, I've never done a film. I could write the music for the film. Mm -hmm. But I have other friends that are great filmmakers, and I thought I'd refer them to her. And then I had an epiphany the next day, and I thought, you know what? I think I have an idea and could make this work. So uh, during the pandemic, um, I was able to interview through the help of the families of these uh, wonderful octogenarians, including my mother. I interviewed Mahmoud El-Khati. Mm-hmm. Uh, professor Bill, Emeritus yes, professor uh, from Emeritus, McAllister. Fantastic historian. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill English, who yes. started Sabathony Community Center, and also Dr. Josie Johnson. Yes. And um, my mother told stories I didn't even know about. That was shocking. I had about five and a half hours worth of content that I needed to edit down to 18 minutes. Mm. And I was not quite sure how to do that. The thing I was sure about how to do was go in the studio and create all the music at the beginning. Before I even did the uh, interviews, I created the music. I want to talk about some of the stories uh, that your mother uh, shared. Uh, your mother, her name mm-hmm. is Sally Steele Birdsong. Mm-hmm. Uh, she talked about an experience she had with police about 25 years ago. Tell everybody what happened to her. Uh, Javita had a guest at her home. Your sister. And, uh, my sister Javita had a guest at her home. And uh, the guest came in and forgot the alarm code. And, of course, the alarm company called 
my mother second mm-hmm. to uh, because my mother, you know, uh, knew the code. So my mother headed over to the house. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> by the time she got there, the alarm had been going off and the police were called. And um, it was the middle of the day, and my mother was talking to the next-door neighbor to Javita's house. And the police came, uh, two of them, and pulled a gun on her and told her to get her hands up. And uh, the neighbor said, she doesn't look like a burglar. And my mother implored the neighbor to to tell the police who she was, and she didn't do that. So uh, it was rather shocking for my mother. She never raised her hands, um, and they frisked her, and— and, you know, she, they ended up letting her go because she knew the code. And uh, it what was a harrowing experience. What did she say her. in the interview about how she felt? Well, and in, in the interview, if, if, if first of all, if you want to watch the documentary, all you have to do is pull up J.D. Steele documentary uh, and it will come right up. And um, she tells how she really grew to dislike and to almost hate the police at the time. But over time, she began to realize that they weren't all the same and that she she didn't want to have hate in her in her system. So um, because that's just not my mother. She's a very religious woman, full of love. Yeah. And uh, it was just shocking for Mm -hmm. her to go through that, especially after moving here from Gary, Indiana, and never having that experience before to come to Minnesota to have that experience was and in the documentary, again, it's called Listen, Please. Your mother also talks about trying to love her neighbor, even when it's hard. Um. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my mother grew up in Mississippi. Um, and uh, she had some really, her and her family, some really tough times with white people uh, in Mississippi in the, in the 40s. So she's never gotten over some of those traumatic experiences. And uh, to this day, you know, I, I would say my mother doesn't have any white friends per se she's met people and Mm -hmm. but uh what do you make of that well i think you know growing up in mississippi and then moving to gary indiana which was uh the quintessential Mm -hmm. african-american city to live in back in the 60s uh she just didn't know any white people she didn't go to church with any white people going to a pentecostal church in gary indiana and uh gary was uh, a really cho- was really a chocolate city. I mean, I, I didn't encounter white people until I went to Purdue University uh, my freshman year, and I was it was cultural shock for me because I had only seen white people on television. <laughs> right, but this is the situation today. A lot of people, you know, live in and move in in communities of people that only look like them. That's true. That's true, which uh, is another thing I love about um, um, my choirs because we get a chance to interact multiculturally and talk about issues of the day and talk about racial issues. And, um, you know, we... Inquire rehearsal. Exactly, inquire rehearsal. I try to integrate, um, you know, discussion about race Mm -hmm. and cultural... Because you're not studying that sheet music. No. (laughs) You got time. For some serious conversation. We okay. Um, you also produced a music video uh, after George Floyd uh, was killed, along with the Peterson family, another well-known musical family here in the Twin Cities. Uh, I want to hear a little bit uh, of, of one of those songs. Uh, this is a song called Love Can Heal the World. Oh, no. 
Love Can Heal the World. That is the, the Peterson family and the Seals uh, singing together. You know, a lot of us feel very discouraged right now. Um, so tell me more about this. Do you, do you believe love can heal the world? Absolutely. Love can. Do, it's, it's healing the world as we speak. Uh, on a, we're in a constant battle between love and hate. And <clears throat> love usually wins. Um, but sometimes it feels like hate is, 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 is winning, but it never does. Jason Peterson DeLear wrote the song. It's a beautiful song. Mm-hmm. And the collaboration with the Steels and the Peterson, it's like we're all one big family. I love that mm-hmm. family so much. They're such dear friends. And the Capri Glee Choir got a chance to get in on the background vocals in the video with that song. So um, that song was um, uh, viewed by over 200,000 people. Um, uh, when it came out. So it, it really caught on fast. And Rocky Robbins, who's from one from Minneapolis, who was one of the uh, first people to get a record deal in Minneapolis, um, is on the song also. Well. So. And so power has music has the power to create this bridge across differences. And, and is that what you see happening in your choir rehearsals? There are community choirs, people from different backgrounds, different races, different musical abilities making music together. Yeah, it, it does. Uh, you know, it, it does crosses, it crosses, crosses cultural lines. And uh, I had a, a gentleman, a white gentleman friend of mine say to me uh, not long ago, he said, you know, I wish people would leave politics out of music. You know, I hate it when I watch the Grammy Awards and these artists want to make political commentary. Mm-hmm. And then I said to him, I said, well, you know, you and I are about the same age. You remember the music of the 60s mm-hmm. and um, the, how politics were were integrally involved in fighting the Vietnam War and racism. Right. And he said, you know what? I never thought about that. I said, yeah, some of your favorite artists were very politically active in the 60s and 70s. So that's never changed. So artists are always going to be responsible in that way. We're talking with singer and songwriter J.D. Steele and choir director as well in Robbinsdale. Jane is on the phone. Good morning, Jane. Good morning. I just want to say how much J.D. and Fred open up my heart when I sing. It's just, it's such a beautiful experience. It fills me up my well so that I have plenty to give to the world. And they let me shine like I shine. They just, they love us. They love our individuality. They want us to be the best that we can be. I just, I'm so grateful to be part of the group. You're one of the choir members, Jane? I am. I am. I started in Capri Glee. I had so much fun. I said to J.D., I came to a rehearsal at Mill City, and I said, can I join? He said, come on in. (laughs) It was just amazing. And uh, Jane, I'm going to ask you, can you sing? Can I sing? Yes, she can. Can you sing? Jane with a Y is a great singer. (laughs) She's got a beautiful voice. Hi, Jane. Hi there. Hi there. Well, I am. uh, It's a gift to hear from you, Jane. Thank you. I can tell you have a big heart. I'm glad she can sing as well. But again, let's no auditions. No, this is a big deal. And you don't have to be able to read music. Don't have to be able to read music. Let's take another phone call in St. Paul. uh, AJ is on the line. Good morning, AJ. Good morning and to you, Angela Davis, first time listener or first time, first time caller, long time listener. Okay. And JD, good morning to you, sir. Good uh, morning. Such an honor. This is AJ Friday here on the line, sir. Um, I first met JD when I came to Minnesota for the very first time. I'd lived on both coasts, served in the in the military previous to this, and um, I was one of the 
the 12 students selected from multiple acting schools to come to the Guthrie Theater and create as a cohort a play of our own. Um, and J.D. was our musical director uh, in that Guthrie experience in 2016. And J.D., J.D.'s just a, such a fascinating and wonderful human being, but his music and that of the Steels, it is soul food. It's not soul food for your heart alone. It's, it's soul food for your ears. It's soul food for your community. And we came in 2016 when Philando Castile had just been murdered, uh, and we got to sit uh, as a group of 12, uh, all women, all LGBTQ plus IA, um, all children of color, uh, adults of color now, um, and, and we got to sit with J.D. and really process that as artists. And I, I got to tell you, singing with J.D. and not having to stare down at, at sheet music, it really makes such a massive difference because that was the first time I felt like the art lived in me mm. and not just mm-hmm. on the page or on a script. Uh, and, and J.D. has such a magical way of stitching souls together that he, he really helped us process one of the most difficult experiences we'd ever had as a community of our own, of others. Uh, and J.D., I got to tell you, um, you're one of the, re- the main reasons I'm back in this state. I've moved to this state. I've met my wife in this state, and I now have a one-year-old daughter because of the feeling that you helped cultivate within each and every one of us, and especially me. So I, I, I really love you, J.D. I, I appreciate Aww. everything you do for this community and this state and this world. Thank you, AJ. Well, thank you, AJ. I love you back, man. I'll never forget you because you got the initial lonely name, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> congratulations on mm-hmm. your, your family. I'm just so proud of you. All right. We're going to keep the love train uh, going here. Uh, let's take another phone call in Minneapolis. Mike is on the phone. Good morning, Mike. Hey, good morning. Hi. What do you want to share with us as we talk with J.D. Steele? Uh, sure, yeah. I First of all, I got to know J.D. a year ago, October, when a 14-year-old friend of mine, Gannett, joined JD's McPhail Youth Choir. And so I got to be around, you know, some of the practices and then the, the choir or the concerts that they did and just got to see the energy of JD and Fred, which is amazing too, both of them together as brothers. Are, it's an, a, a, a fun dynamic to watch. So coming out of the pandemic, uh, I was, uh, you know, as many people, I think probably depressed as a, uh, a byproduct of the isolationism of the pandemic. So joined the choir because I couldn't get a psychotherapy appointment. And I tell you what, the first day I was there, it was like a 90-minute amazing psychotherapy session uh, filled with joy and excitement. The movement that J.D. alludes to uh, was absolutely exhilarating. And then watching the youth choir, the way J.D. deals with them, was, uh, it's like he's a, um, a high-end a teacher, quite frankly, very skilled in what he does, and it's obvious that he cares about the students, the children, um, not just for their musical skills, but he treats them as a as a whole and deals with them from a holistic process and talks mm-hmm. a lot about school and the future and what that should look like and how they can be successful and shares his own stories all the time, which are absolutely wonderful. Um, and very enlightening, and the help us from a cultural perspective. 
Mm. Thank you, Mike in Minneapolis. Uh, Mike said uh, the pandemic, as it was for a lot of people, was depressing for him and he couldn't get an appointment with a therapist. And so he joined a community choir and it helped him tremendously. It was tough. Uh, thank you for your kind words, Mike. You know how much I feel for you and uh, and Gannett. I just love you guys so much. So it's a, it's a joy to be singing with you. All right. South Dakota is listening this morning. In Sioux Falls, Ashley is on the phone. And, and Ashley, what did you want to share with us as we talk about community Hi. choirs? Good morning, Angela. Good morning, J.D. I just want to say that I have so much respect and admiration for J.D. Uh, I'm a musician as well and a director down in Sioux Falls, South Dakota here. And it takes someone special to not only see the potential within individuals, but truly believe in the vulnerability that is possible with them sharing their voice. That it's not about you as an individual, but it's the purpose and the connectivity that is created through community that builds the greatest masterpiece. Um, I really, really respect JD and his approach for bringing all voices together. I, uh, the musical world can be very divisive and it can be all very haves and have nots. And so to consciously really delve into uh, the field of empowering every voice, uh, I think is a humanitarian effort. Um, I lead a virtual choir of individuals with cystic fibrosis. Uh, people with CF cannot sing in the same room or be in the same room due to cross-contamination and cross-infection risks. Mm-hmm. And so being a musician and realizing how powerful being a part of a family and a choir and a community can be, um, you know, the ripple effect far beyond that rehearsal space or that project that you're working at. Um, in 2017, I started a virtual choir with individuals with CF from all over the world so that they might experience, you know, that the power of their individual voice, but coming together mm-hmm. to do something greater. And so many times I, I look back, we're just working on a project right now, actually, is being able to feel like I'm the one holding the mirror so that those individuals, and I imagine JD doing this, this same thing, holding that mirror so other individuals that you're working with can truly see what's alive within themselves mm. and Ashley, by amplifying their own voices. Thank you, Ashley. Uh, we just have a minute and a half uh, left here, JD. And so there's a broader message here, right? I mean, I think about like removing barriers, uh, about uh, recognizing your talents and abilities and about connection. And so as you think about the phone calls we've heard this hour, and, you know, I, I asked you at the very beginning of the hour, um, what do you make of the musical ability that was placed within you, this talent, and then how you're using it today? Well, first of all, I want to thank Ashley <clears throat> in South Sioux Falls uh, because cause you get it, Ashley. That's uh, Music is very therapeutic, and um, it, it's used in therapy a lot these days. So there's a lot of studies that have been done. And um, at McPhail, we have a great music therapy department, and I just admire these uh these musicians so much that can use it for therapy, uh, therapeutic purposes. But, you know, I just, like I said to you earlier, I, just, I don't take this for granted at all. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful uh, to have been blessed with this gift along with my, my family. And my thing is just to share it as much and as long as I can. I always tell people, you know, people like me don't retire. We just decrescendo away. <laughs> We've been listening to a conversation I had earlier this year with singer, songwriter, arranger, producer, and choir director J.D. Steele. It was made possible in part by the Minnesota Legacy Amendments Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For more reporting in the North Star Journey series, go to nprnews.org slash Journey. 
It was produced by Maya Beckstrom, one of our show producers here at NPR News. Maya's in the studio with me. Maya, if someone was inspired really by the conversation and wants to sing with J.D. Steele, how can they do that? Well, they can. Um, The registration for the Spring Glee Community Choir is opening up on March 1st, so mark that down. And it's only six weeks of rehearsal, so he really pulls this together quickly. And everybody can join in, even if you don't think you're a singer. I love that. that I that's okay. You and you and you and I can go. The joy, <laughs> the joy of music that uh, he's making it accessible to everybody. All right. So as you look ahead to 2024, uh, what are we going to be doing, Maya? What topics and shows are you excited uh, about sharing with our our listening audience? Um, we've got more of these hour long interviews with Minnesotans who you may or may not have heard of, but I really I think in in their different ways, making Minnesota a better place for all of us. Our profiles, our we profile call them, right? shows, we yeah, just get into get, in, get dig, all into their in. business. Yeah. I love those. Yeah, right. you, okay, you hear good. about how people got to where they are, which I love. Mm-hmm. And then I'm also interested in doing some more shows about climate change and just bringing that down to mm-hmm. um, how we live our lives. What choices can we make? to reduce our reliance on fossil fuels? What can we be doing? And I think we've got some good ideas. Yeah, and we always get tremendous response when we talk about the climate crisis and the yeah. solutions that are, are happening right now. Um, and so this is great. I'm looking forward to continuing to working with you. Thank you, Maya, Me for too. your time. Uh, Maya yeah. Beckstrom, one of the uh, great producers we have here at NPR News. If you missed part of today's show, remember you can always find our shows on the podcast. Just search for NPR News with Angela Davis wherever you get your podcast, and then you can listen when it's convenient for you. Be safe, everybody. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.